You may be seated. One of my favorite Sundays of the year because school starts tomorrow for public school, which means vacations are over, no more skipping church, students are back. One of my favorite Sundays, great to have everybody here. Had to go back to three services today, and it looks like it's a good thing we did because 120 would not have fit in here uh, in this particular service. You know, I, I, I want to invite you uh, to a party this morning. I do so because you're invited. You are on the guest list. You see, we arrive today at a passage in our study of the book of Mark that on the surface is going to look very familiar, uh, perhaps even redundantly so. I suspect the chorus of encouragement may reach a fever pitch today. Come on, Scott, let's finish this gospel and move on to something else. But b- before we dismiss this passage too quickly as stuff that we've seen before, we need to examine it a bit more closely. So read it with me. Mark chapter 7, verse 31 and following say this. Again, he, that is Jesus, went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers in his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue, presumably with the saliva, and and, and looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished. Stop right there. Uh, utterly, I know that word appears in your Bible in a number of different places, but you need to understand something. This word utterly right here is what's called a hapax legomena. Are you impressed? Uh, well, you're going to hear that word again today. A hapax legomena means it appears one time in the New Testament. One time. And the word means beyond all measure, they were amazed. R- really? Uh, this miracle? I mean, back in chapter 5, he raised a girl from the dead. That seems to me to be a bit more impressive. What is it about this miracle that utterly astonished them? They were saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Really? What's the big deal about this miracle? And at this, at this point, I suspect that you see what I mean. It's, a, it's another heal, healing story. We've seen them all over the Gospel of Mark. I mean, follow the flow. In chapter 1, Jesus' first healing, at least in Mark, is, is actually an exorcism. He drove out a, a demon in a synagogue. Still in chapter 1, he, he healed Peter's mother-in-law, and, and then he went on to heal a leper. And then in chapter 2, he, he healed a paralytic, that is, a, a man that was brought to Jesus in a house, carried by his four f- friends on a mat. And, and then in chapter 3, he healed a man with a withered hand. You remember, he, he did that on the Sabbath. That irritated a few people. In, in chapter 4, we, we get a break from healing, but he, well, he still calms the storm. And then in chapter 5, he healed a man of remarkable demonic possession. 
I mean, this guy was possessed with a legion of demons. Now, don't forget this guy. He likely plays a very important part in the story that, well, that we just read. Still in chapter 5, he, he healed a, a, a woman with a 12-year issue of blood. And, and then he also raised that, well, he raised that 12-year-old girl from the dead. That's impressive. And, and then in chapter 6, he sent out the 12 to do the same things that he was doing, namely to heal the sick and exercise demons and, and to preach the gospel. Uh, he, he did also this little miracle of feeding 5,000 men with a boy's lunch, you know, the five loaves and two fish. We've all heard that in Sunday school. And Oh, and he walked on water. And then in chapter 7, our, our chapter, last week, he healed a, a Syrophoenician woman. That, that's a Gentile woman's daughter. She's, she's actually a little girl. Uh, drove out another demon. Now, I, I suspect about, about halfway through that list, I, some of you zoned out. <laughs> Been there, done that. I've heard these healing stories before. I mean, there's so many. They're, they're kind of running together, Scott. They're sounding the same. In fact, dare I say that, that Mark uh, got worn out recording all of them, so he started giving what are called summary statements. Consider in chapter 1, for example, he said, when evening came after the sunset, they began bringing to him all who were ill and, and, and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door, and he healed many. That doesn't mean most. It means he healed lots of people who were ill with various diseases. He cast out demons, and he, and then interestingly, he was not permitting the demons to speak because they knew who he was. Chapter 3, another summary, and he told his disciples, get a boat ready because of the crowd pressing in on me, and he had healed Many, with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him, and whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they, they would fall down before him and shout, you are the, the Son of God, and he earnestly, does it again, he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. In both of those summaries, he's swearing them to secrecy, and, and then in chapter 6, here, here we go again, when they crossed over to the land of Gennesaret, and more to the shore. He got out of the boat. Immediately people recognized him and, and ran about the whole country again to carry uh, to him people on pallets, those who were sick, and, uh, to the place where he was. Whenever he entered villages or cities or countryside, they were laying the sick in the marketplaces and imploring him that, that they might touch the fringe. Remember, that's the, the tassels on the four corners of his, of his garment or his cloak. And as many as touched it, hey, they were cured. Every couple of chapters or so, Mark gives us a summary of Jesus' healing ministry. Okay, we get it. Jesus healed people. Let's move on. Even John in his gospel, he only records seven miracles, and he gets to the very end and says, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Get a clue, but, but, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing he might have life in his name. And so, you see, John figured it out. Figure it out, Mark. Let's move on. But maybe, just maybe there is a reason for each of these miracles that Mark records. Maybe there's a reason he recorded this particular story. After all, he's the only one who does. This particular healing story is not found in Matthew or Luke, the other synoptic gospels, or, or even in John. It's, it's only here. Why? 
that's my question. Why? It's kind of a weird story. And what, how does it bring this utter astonishment? I'll come back to that at the end. You see, as we make our way through this passage, I, I think that you will be encouraged because we are beginning to get a clearer picture. <laughs> Jesus is throwing a party, and it's for us. We're, we're beginning to get a more audible invitation. We are invited to become his followers. Who's this we that I'm talking about? Well, it's we. It's the people in this room. It's, well, it's non-Jews. You see, last week we saw in his attempts to get away from those ever-present crowds for some much-needed rest, Jesus and his disciples withdrew to the district of Tyre. Upon arriving, this Syrophoenician, this Gentile woman, heard he was there, came to the house where he was hiding out. I do mean hiding out. He didn't even want them to know that, they, that he was there. And, he began, and she began pleading with him incessantly to heal her cruelly demon-possessed little girl. We don't know how little, but I'm talking like little. We made our way through a rather troubling passage because we found that Jesus ignored her. Then when his disciples began pleading with him to do something about this lady so she'd shut up and leave, he said, let the children be satisfied first for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Are you kidding me? Lady, I didn't, I didn't come for you, Gentile dog. I, I, came, I came for the Jews. Tough text. To which this woman of great faith responded, yes, Lord, that, I, I understand that that is true, but even the, the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. All I'm asking for, Lord is a little crumb. Please help me. And incredibly, Jesus did. And in so doing, he reminded us that, yeah, there's a priority, a, a functional chronology of the spread of the gospel. The gospel did start with the Jews, but it didn't remain there. It, it spread throughout Jerusalem and Judea and, and then into Samaria and, and to the ends of the earth, even Boone, North Carolina. And once his ministry was complete, you see, the disciples' ministry had just begun. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. The good news of, this, of that passage from last week was this gospel is for everyone who believes, Jew and dirty, rotten Gentile. That's you. It's for you, too. You're invited to this party. And, and so now, in this story, Jesus continues giving us, Gentiles, a, a, a glimmer of hope. The, the gospel will make its way to us. Uh, after all, we have three stories in a row. This, this Syrophoenician woman, this, this deaf man, and, and then, Lord willing, next week, the, the, the feeding of the 4,000, which we will find are largely Gentiles. You see, these story, stories, far from boring, should thrill our hearts. These stories are for us. If they weren't here, big trouble. So what we're going to see in this passage today. Let's look at this outline as we jump into the text. First, we're going to see 
this kind of odd travel itinerary in verse 31. You'll see what I mean when we get there. And, and then we're going to see this odd healing. It was kind of weird, wasn't it, as I read that story in verses 32 to 35. And then we're going to see that familiar but still odd messianic secret in the last couple of verses. Let's begin with that first one, Jesus' odd travels in verse 31. Mark, Mark says, again, he, he went out from the region of Tyre and, and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee with, within the region of Decapolis. Now, if you're not familiar with the geography of this area, you might, you might just skip over that, but, but it's a strange way to go from, from Tyre to, to Decapolis. It would be like saying, I'm going to go to Knoxville by way of Winston-Salem. You, you, you wouldn't do that. You remember, he left Capernaum, went to the region of Tyre, where he had healed that, where he healed that Syrophoenician woman's daughter. From there, he, he goes about 22 miles north um, uh, to, to Sidon, and, and then you know, actually through Sidon, and then he, he heads back toward the Sea of Galilee. But he doesn't go back to Capernaum. He, he travels around the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Decapolis, which we know means ten cities. Originally, it was ten city-states uh, that were independent of the Herod's rule in, in Galilee or in Palestine. These were pagan cities, and for the most part, they worshipped Greek deities. Uh, but, but Jesus, well, he had been there before. This is where he drove out that legion of demons from that New Dunarud mood. Not only that, while he was in Decapolis, a, a, a predominantly Gentile country, we're, we're going to find again next week that he feeds 4,000 people, 4,000 Gentiles. From the Decapolis, he'll get in his boat and make his way across to Dalmanutha. I think it says Magdala up there, but that Dalmanutha is right, right by there. And then on the western, uh, it's on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee. Then he's going to travel from there out of Jewish territory again up to Caesarea Philippi. You go, so what? <laughs> Why do you point all that out? Because... With the exception of Dalmanutha, once he leaves Capernaum and travels to the district of Tyre for the next couple of chapters, he's in places like North Carolina. He's in Gentile country. And you have to understand that this travel by foot, it was by foot, it's over 120 miles. It would have covered several weeks, if not months. So I am going to suggest that Mark did exercise some restraint because no doubt Jesus performed healings in Sidon and along the way to Decapolis and certainly once he got to the Decapolis. You say, how can you say that? Well, in Matthew's account, at this point, after the healing of the Syrophoenician woman's daughter, he gives one of his healing summaries, which would then obviously have taken place throughout Gentile country. I, it's important that you don't miss that. These stories take place among Gentiles because salvation is for everyone who believes, Jew and Gentile alike. My point is, is we've been invited to the party. Now, why do I keep saying party? Because I want to read Matthew's summary comes after this healing of this woman's daughter and before the feeding of the 4,000. So in other words, it's, it takes place where Mark inserts this story. 
I want you to read his summary with me. Mark 15 says this, or Matthew 15 says this. Departing from there, that is Tyre, Jesus went along by the Sea of Galilee, that is on the eastern shore, and having gone up on a mountain, uh, on the mountain, he was sitting there. And large crowds came to him, bringing with them those who were lame and, and crippled and blind and, and mute. It's like our guy and, and many others. And, and they laid them down at his feet, and he healed them. So the crowd marveled as they saw the mute speaking, the cripple, crippled restored, and the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And as a result, they glorified the God of Israel. And, and, and then the next story in Matthew is the feeding of the 4,000 still in the Decapolis. Okay. Will you think about what is taking place here? Imagine the scene that unfolds in all of these summaries. Word spreads. The, 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 the miracle worker, the, 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 this healer named Jesus, that they heard about over, over in Galilee for the past couple of years, has, he's come. He, he went to Tyre. He went to Sidon. And, and he's, come, he's come down to Decapolis. And so, so people have come out in large numbers to see him. Look at Matthew's summary. As we become, dare I say, bored with these stories, look, look who came. Look who came to Jesus. Lame, crippled, blind, mute, and many other sick and diseased people. This was, a, this was a ragged group of Gentiles. And, and Matthew says, those, we assume, who were healthy, laid them at Jesus' feet. Now, that's not exactly what Matthew says. Literally, he, say, he uses the word ripto, which means they threw them at his feet. So we're in the crowd, get you this picture in your mind. These people are desperate as quickly as they could. they they flung people at, at Jesus, meaning whatever else was wrong with them, he now had to heal them from being thrown to. <laughs> and as he, as he healed them all, I am suggesting that this became a party. The crowd marveled at what was going on. They were struck with awe and wondered. They were, they were utterly astonished. There was no explanation for what they were seeing. The, the mute were speaking. The crippled, we speak of those who have some body part that was either deformed or useless or altogether missing. The, the, those people were restored. Well, you think about that. If they didn't have an arm, Jesus gave them one. If they didn't have a leg, Jesus gave them one. If leprosy had claimed some appendages or a nose or some lips or ears, he restored them. He gave them one. The lame were walking. The blind were seeing. Put yourself in the midst of that crowd. What, what do you hear? You're in it now. What do you hear? I hear laughter. Can't you? I'd be laughing if I was blind, helpless, and all of a sudden I could see. I could see dancing 
Can't you? Even you Baptists? I mean, if you were lame, then you could immediately walk. What would you, stand there? No. you dance. I would run. I would jump. I could hear shouting. Isn't that what you would do if you were mute and your tongue was suddenly loosed? I am suggesting that this was one great big party. People everywhere dancing and shouting and laughing and talking and marveling and hoping. It is suggested that Jesus virtually eliminated sickness and disease in Galilee and the area around Galilee, like the Decapolis, while he walked on earth. This is a health care program that both Republicans and Democrats could support. (laughs) Find something else to fight about. Look around some more. Look around some more. Over in the corner. You see, you, you hear crying, trembling. A mom clutches a daughter who had been demon-possessed. Father hugs a son who had been blind. A wife embraces a husband. She had not touched for years because he had leprosy. I, I, I hear crying, sobs of joy. I see trembling of disbelief. This is a unique party because as you look around some more, you see something else in Matthew's account of Jesus healing in in Gentile territory. Something different takes place in his summary statement. It begins softly. It begins softly over there in the corner. People begin bowing. They begin kneeling. Some even fall to their faces. Others raise their hands. Some pray silently. Others loudly. Others sing praises. And it begins to spread quickly through the crowd. Matthew says, you see, they glorified the God of Israel. That's what was happening at these healing parties. These healing parties became worship services. Matthew says, because these were Gentiles, they glorified the God of Israel. There can only be one response, you see, to the mighty works of God on our behalf. Praise, glory, honor, and worship. It's why he does what he does, to receive worship for the glory due his name, because he deserves it. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Have a party. And so now as you look around, in the midst of this crowd, let your gaze go not to the healed. Now I know that's, that's usually what we do because we're so amazed. We, we, we think about this blind person who can now see and this deaf person who can now hear and this guy who never walked a day in his life now leaping for joy, but don't see those healed, see the healer. Don't see the worshiper, see the one worshiped. Cast your gaze on Jesus. See him standing there. See him, I am suggesting, soak it in. You see, you see I think that Jesus liked healing people. I think that he liked meeting needs. In fact, see him now, smile. See him inhabit the praises of his people. 
He deserves it. It is due him. It is what this is all about. Revelation chapter 4 tells us. The four living creatures, each one of them having six wings full of eyes within and uh, uh, full of eyes around and within, and, and day and night. Day and night they cease not to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Day and night they cease not saying it. How many times have they said it in the time that we've been here? And it never grows old. Holy, holy, holy. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders representing, I think, the church in Israel will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And then because of your glory, they existed and were created. Now, you read Revelation chapter 5, and you find out in the midst of that throne is a lamb as he had been slain. And you read Hebrews chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1 and John chapter 1 and find out that Jesus is the one who did the creating. For all eternity past, into the present and into the future, Jesus has rightfully heard and deserves praise. But in the past, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or to be held on to, but he emptied himself, took, taking on the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of man and being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He emptied himself. The word became flesh and, and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. He's full of grace, and he's, and he's, and he's full of truth. And, 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 and so for a moment... On the side of that Gentile hillside, they glorified the God of Israel and gave him the praise and worship rightly due him. Because I am suggesting it can, it can be the only response from people who have received much. This was a party. This was a worship service to which we have been invited. So... When we read of these events, when we come to worship such a great God, do not dare do it with disinterested apathy. He raised you from spiritual death to spiritual life, and He will forever deserve greatest praise. Back to Mark. Uh, of all of the miracles that Jesus did in these travels, Mark gives us just this one story, this particular healing that we just read. Why, why this one? That brings us to our second and third point very quickly. It brings us to this odd healing. Upon arriving in Decapolis, the, the crowds show up. Now, how did these Gentile crowds know about Jesus? Likely from the testimony of that man that Jesus had delivered from the legion of, of demons back in chapter 5. You remember this guy wanted to go with Jesus and he said, no, I want you to stay and I want you to go tell everybody what God has done uh, for you. 
Some suggest that he had done that quite successfully and made Jesus known. So, so, so we read that they, don't know who they are, probably family, friends of this guy, uh, brought this to Jesus, a man who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. Spoke with difficulty. Now, I don't usually throw out Greek words, but I'm going to throw out a, 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 a Greek word because I want you to remember Magalalas. He spoke with great difficulty. Magalalas. These are common maladies seen together. Even if you're not mute, deaf people often find great difficulty in speaking with, without their sense of hearing. So this deaf man spoke with great difficulty, Magalalas. They begged Jesus to lay his hand on their friend to heal them. At this point, Jesus does some rather interesting, unusual things. First, he takes the man aside, away from the crowds. That's actually not unusual. He often healed people quietly to minimize his popularity and his errant, growing, messianic expectations. We're going to talk about that in a minute. He takes him aside, but then he does this. He puts his fingers in his ears. Now, why? Now, we can just surmise that this was the area that needed healing. And since the man could not hear, Jesus used another sense, tactile sense, sense of touch to deal with him. But, but, but then we read that Jesus spit and touched the man's tongue, presumably with his saliva. Uh, another tactile effect. Now, lots of discussion as to why Jesus did that, especially since at this particular time, this was very interesting to do this reading this week, that important people... Important people's saliva was thought to hold mystical, magical powers. I mean, I think you could sell that stuff. And you go, you kind of chuckle and go, probably not. I don't know. Watch Christian TV and you can buy a handkerchief that purportedly does the same thing. I, I really don't think that's what Jesus did what he was doing, like he had some kind of magical saliva. Why he did so, only guesswork. Interesting, in chapter 8, he'll do the same thing with a blind man, only he's going to spit in his eyes. We'll save that till then. So Jesus then looks up to heaven, a, a prayerful glance, I believe, so that people understand that this is not magical or mystical, this is divine power. And with a deep sigh, lots of discussion about that, what is this deep sigh? Is it a inward groaning that Romans 8 talks about? Is it, is it a prayer? Uh, is it a sorrow because of this guy's um, uh, situation is a result of humanity's sin? I, I don't know. I go probably with a prayer. The, the point is Jesus is about to heal this man, looks up to heaven with a, a, a sighing prayer. He, he uses the word ephatha, which is an Aramaic term. Mark tells us that it's a command. In fact, he even translates it for us non-Aramaic-speaking people. Be open. <laughs> it's in the singular. Uh, singular. He's talking to the man. Think about that. This man was deaf. And the first words he heard were God commanding his ears to be opened. Verse 35 says his ears were indeed open. He could now hear and the impediment of his tongue was removed. The Greek is much more colorful. The, the bands or the, the chains that bound his tongue were loosed. We use that same kind of concept today. We speak of people being tongue-tied. He can now speak clearly. Now, when you stop there, don't just 
Don't just skip over that. Think of the magnitude of this miracle. He had been unable to speak clearly because he could not hear. Now he can hear, and Jesus also went beyond that and gave him the immediate ability to speak clearly. You have to teach people to speak. He could do it immediately. No wonder they said of Jesus, he does all things well. This brings us quickly to the last point, the familiar but odd command to keep quiet. Just a couple of thoughts as I close. After this healing, Jesus gave them orders to not tell anyone. Interesting, especially in this particular area, because he told the guy delivered of a of a legion of demons to go tell everybody, uh, and apparently he did. Now Jesus uh, commands this messianic secret again. Why? Probably because the messianic fervor had risen even in Decapolis, and he didn't want his mission, which, by the way, he's going to articulate clearly in chapter 8. He didn't want it to be compromised. So he commands them to secrecy, but as usual, the more he ordered them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And what exactly did they proclaim? This whole sermon comes to this. What exactly did they proclaim? Verse 37, they were utterly astonished. Really? Uh, utterly astonished? Saying he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf uh, to hear and the mute to speak. And you say, crash your head. You go, oh, okay, that's fine. So? Why were they amazed by this? Whether they realized it or not, Mark, Mark got it. That's why he records this story. Do, do you remember Mark's purpose? He writes his gospel so that we understand that Jesus is the Christ, the very Son of God. So, so why is this story here? Remember. I asked you to remember that word in verse 32. This man spoke with great difficulty. Magalalas. Magalalas. It's, it's one word in the Greek. Spoke with great difficulty. One word. And it actually appears only here in the New Testament. It's another one of those hapax legomenas. <laughs> only, only appears here. Well, the word actually appears in one place in the Greek Old Testament called the Septuagint, which is what most people read at that particular time. In Isaiah chapter 35, which is a prophecy concerning God's restoration of Israel. Now, you may know that, is, that, that Isaiah is, is full of prophecy about the coming judgment against Israel because of their waywardness and, and the coming judgment on the nations around them. And there's coming a, a day of great judgment, but... There's also coming a day, a glorious day, when God would restore all things. God would restore all things. Look at Isaiah 35 with me, verses 4, 5, and 6. Say to those with anxious heart, anxious because judgment's coming. Take courage. Fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. He's going to come with judgment. The, the recompense of the Lord's going to come. He's going to pay you. But... He will save you. Then the eyes of the blind will be open and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute. That's the word. Magalalas. The, the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. The tongue of those who speak with difficulty. 
shout for joy. Same word. And whether the people there that day realized it, don't know. They were amazed that Jesus opened deaf ears and loosened bound tongues. Make no mistake about it. Mark got it. Mark wants us to get it. Mark wants us to understand. The only two places that these words are are used are here in this particular story and in Isaiah chapter 35. God would come. He would open blind eyes. He would unstop deaf ears and the tongues of the mute will shout for joy. Here's my point. Here's the point of the whole sermon. This God has come. His name is Jesus. Mark writes so that you will understand that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's why the story is here. Let's stand for prayer. Father, your word is true. It is clear. We're supposed to read it with focus and attention. Forgive us for reading it with flippancy and trying to hurry through and not settle in on words that communicate great truth. Mark picked this story when everyone else skipped it. He picked this story for a reason. So that we Gentiles, 2,000 years later, would understand that we have been invited to the party. And it's supposed to be a party that that brings great worship of the great God that we serve, the one who sent his son to, to, to reconcile wayward people, open blind eyes and deaf ears to see and understand the gospel. Jesus has come. And so we, with formerly bound tongues, now loosed, Sing with great joy for what you have done. In Christ's name, amen.